Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 33. I wanted to say 32 for some reason. Um, I think I got the thumbnail right. <laughs> yeah, well, 32 is a multiple of eight, so it's kind of habit to say 32, right? So. Yeah, yeah, double-checking things here. Uh, so it is, it is officially episode 33. We are going to talk about some package management and app management specifically, the uh, confusion that can be around app image, flat pack, and like all things in Linux, there's more than one way to do it. There's a lot of right. opinions about which way is the right way, and we at least want to break them down so you can have the information you need to decide which way is the best way for you. If you want to use like these app images and flat packs, or you just want to use the standard repositories or extra repositories that you may add to get things running. And maybe we'll get a little nostalgic about the dependency hell that used to be Linux. Uh, yeah. It's still not gone, but compared to the way it was 20 years ago, boy, life has gotten much better. Before we dive yeah. into this episode, though, we want to thank a sponsor, and that is Linode. Uh, they've been a sponsor since the beginning. We've been really happy with their service. And if you've listened to this on a podcast, wherever podcast app you're using, it was downloaded from our website, hosted directly on Linode. A lot of the projects we talk about on here, we've demoed and used Linode for. Uh, they've been a great supporter of the show. We just want to thank them. And if you want to become a Linode user as well, we have an offer code in our down, down below and on our website, everywhere you go, you can find this offer code to get you started, get you some hours, get you some time, you know, get started with Linode, start some of these demos, do some of these projects we've been talking about, build your VPN server in someone else's cloud that you want to connect to to obscure yourself or many other projects that we've talked about through 33 episodes so far on this show. So I want to thank Linode for a sponsor and then let's get started talking about, uh, yep. well, actually I'll mention something right away. This came up because Jay solved my flat pack problem. She's been diving more deep into it. So he's much more knowledgeable about it than me. I like flat pack. I use flat pack. I broke flat pack. <laughs> and well, yep. I, Jay helped. And so, Jay, let's start. I'll let you start leading with this of uh, how all this works, all this magic. Yep. So I feel like we should probably start at the beginning or closer to the beginning, kind of work our way through. And um, this is probably something that we should have covered in detail earlier. I think we talked about everything that we're talking about today in you know very minor detail yeah. throughout the series. If we haven't had a dedicated episode, we like to have a dedicated episode uh, to refer people back to, um, you know, in the future. So that's what this is all about. We're going to yep. talk about Linux app man or package management in particular kind of talk through the problems and um, some best practices, the different types of things like that. So, um, you know, really quick, I think a lot of people already know what I'm about to say, but, you know, we got to start somewhere, right? So um, package management in Linux is kind of like a, um, it's almost like the app store mentality before we even had like the app store buzzword, you know, before the yes. first iPhone. Um you know, dependency management nowadays is much better, but in the past it was kind of annoying because you'd have to download, you know, in the case of Red Hat, an RPM package for, I don't know, let's just say Apache or whatever. And then you need some dependencies. So you have to have all those downloaded and you have to search for them. And I, you know, vaguely remember going on some websites and finding RPMs and all these things and putting them in the right folder and then getting them installed. And, you know, it was just tedious and annoying. Um, it really didn't work out very well, but Debian had the right idea because, you know, you just apt install something and then all the dependencies come along for the ride. So it's a little bit easier. And, and having started with Debian is the fact that going from an yep. RPM based system for management, being able to apt get install was like, 
what is this magic? It goes mm -hmm. and grabs all the different dependencies I needed to get this project going. And I was like, this is a game changer. And that's what actually made me move 20 years ago from Red Hat over to uh, using Debian. Right. And, and no, the thing is about this that, you know, I think we take it for granted nowadays because Android is Linux. Um, I mean, yeah, they, you know, go a different direction with it. And there's a, some debate there that I won't get into. But, you know, we take it for granted. We go on our phone, go to the Google Play Store, whatever it is on your platform, tap on the app that you want, and it just downloads. And you don't really care about dependencies. Everything's all in one and everything just magically works. But with Linux in in the, you know, specific, excuse me, specifically Debian, it was like you could just download something from a repository and it just takes care of everything, which is kind of like um, back then, the closest thing we actually had to an app store that I remember. Um, some Palm Pilots and things like that had, um, you know, kind of like app yeah. stores, but it really wasn't the same thing. Um, I started with Red Hat, as um, I think a lot of people have. Uh, when I took the college class that got me started in this rabbit hole, that's what we used. And, you know, dependency hell was was hard, but I still stuck with Red Hat, you know, going forward after that class for at least a few years. And I don't know if a lot of people knew this, but they actually ported Apt to Red Hat at one point. Yeah. It was <laughs> called Apt for RPM, and it was killed off eventually because they, you know, kind of solved this themselves. You, they had Yum install and things like that. But, you know, we take these things for granted. But the idea was you have a, you know, a Linux server, workstation, whatever it is, and you just go through a software repository, pulls down whatever it is that you need. And um, you don't even have to open a website. So back then it was very, very popular or very common if you were to, I don't know, go on a Windows machine, go on Google. Oh, I want to, you know, download Firefox. So you type in Firefox in the search bar and you click on the first link which could be malware, right? I mean, you don't yeah. know. It's yeah. just, um, you want, I mean, you're doing the right thing. You're downloading another browser. I don't even care what it is you're downloading, Firefox, whatever it is. You click on it. Oh, it says Firefox. Click, install. Oh, what's all the, there's all these toolbars all over my screen. But on the Linux side of things, there was, you know, less risk because you just install it from a repository. You don't have to worry about clicking on the wrong thing as long as you didn't install a weird repository or something like that. So the platform, at least at that time, was more secure for many reasons, um, that being one. So that's kind of how this started. And then as time goes on, as we'll discuss, some new technologies have come around that have really um, changed the landscape. Yeah, it's kind of a refinement because as we had these package managers, they solved a massive problem we had of just the untenable nature of how to update some of the packages and the problems like, you know, apt-get update, like we talked about just in our last episode of the auto management is actually become so much easier to use. And when you had to download things as individual dev packages or individual RPM packages to load, that made it really difficult for some of the auto maintenance side of it. And uh, from where we are today, back then there was less the security focus that there is now. A supply yep. chain style attack would have been so much easier to pull off back then, just poisoning the well, because it wasn't a well, it was a multitude of things kind of scattered everywhere and not a clear, concise way to download them. So you'd be like, like hey, yeah. <laughs> it's like a horse trough, a really large one that everybody in the area had access to and is just sitting there out in the open. Um, so yeah, drinking well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, I eventually I gravitated towards Ubuntu 
and I had a fondness for Debian at the time um, because the package management was just that much better and I really liked it. And, you know, one of the issues that we had with this, which, you know, I'll get into why that matters here in a moment, but it's like when you have a non-rolling distribution, especially when I was starting, when I was coming off of Windows going on to Linux, it's like we have a new version of OpenOffice, you know, at the time, that's what we were using and before LibreOffice was a thing. And, you know, Windows users would just go and download it. Okay, great. It's out. I'm going to click on the button, download the thing, and I have LibreOffice. But on Ubuntu, no, you have the same, you know, version of LibreOffice forever until you upgrade your entire distribution, which to me just didn't make any sense. It was like, yeah, I don't really want to be on the bleeding edge about everything, but I would like the, a newer version of this one app, maybe, but no, just wait for the next version of the entire operating system, which never really made sense to me and doesn't make sense to me now. But then you have rolling distributions, which are always up to date, which are way on the other side, way bleeding edge, just uh, to a fault. So um, package management still has some difficulties, but some of the things that have come around, um, and this is the first topic I want to get into, is PPAs, which are, um, I think they're still specific to Ubuntu. I know there's been some discussion about porting that to Debian. I don't know if that happened yet or if it's going to, but um, PPAs were a, a good idea and also not a great idea at the same time. Um, the idea being- it Solved a, a need. Yeah, it really it did. Must be good. Um, you know, because the whole idea before PPAs, which PPAs is kind of like almost like a successor to, is the idea of a, of an additional repository, which is exactly the same thing as a PPA, but there's a little bit of a difference I'll get into. But the thing is, if you needed this one app to be a newer version than, than the rest or what the distribution offered, you just add the repository maybe from the manufacturer of that software, and you could get that on your system. PPAs were kind of like that idea on steroids because they were very, like PPAs are smaller traditionally than, you know, other repositories and to, you know, typically contain just one thing for different versions of Ubuntu or whatever. And you just add that PPA and you get that piece of software in your system, you know, everything's fine. But the problem with PPAs is that there's really no way to know the health or the security because, it's, you know, if someone is just taking it upon themselves to package something like, I don't know, sync thing or whatever it is, um, are they keeping up with, with CVEs? Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe they were keeping up with CVEs very well, security vulnerabilities, and everything's been patched perfectly. But then um, they start a family and they have a life. They don't have as much time to go back and update the PPA anymore. And next thing you know, the PPA hasn't been updated uh, for a year, and you have a vulnerable package in your system. So I've always told everyone, you know, use PPAs if you have to, but you have to keep an eye on them because if the packages go stale, you could be creating more problems than um, the problem you were solving. Absolutely. It's um, kind of a funky issue, too, dealing with them because there's been times where they have saving when I liked, when sh I, I really like Shutter for screenshots, hand down, favorite tool. But I've had to get it through a PPA because for whatever reason, the people in Ubuntu says, we don't like it that much to have it make it work in Ubuntu in the later versions. I was never 100% clear on whatever drama went on behind the scenes. It, was, it wasn't updated, if I remember correctly. Like it wasn't being patched or something. And it was like kind of a risk at some yeah. point. Although 
we don't really make our screenshot utilities publicly accessible and forward ports to it. So I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe a vulnerability chain could be a question here, but I mean, let's be honest, a, a screenshot tool isn't the most um, egregious thing that could be unpatched, but they have their policy. Right. But overall, it's uh, it's not been too bad to add those in there. And at least yep. it was a good stopgap and it was a very well actively maintained project. So I did it conscious of the potential problems of that this is currently active developed and fine and a solution. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing about Ubuntu is that if you use a lot of PPAs and I've seen this at first, it's okay. But then later on you do like apt update to refresh your repository index and you get a bunch of errors about some PPAs are no longer online and it works and all that. But, you know, sometimes we're complacent and ignoring errors and you can kind of tell the age of an Ubuntu system based on, if it's not been ma maintained based on how many errors you get when you do apt update, yeah, there's yeah. three there's three PPAs here that are offline. Um, so that solution, you know, it was okay, but I just kind of feel like there could have been more, like something additional to check the safety of it or to auto disable them if they're you know giving a 404 or something like that. But yeah, um, eh, that that really wasn't the um, the way forward, and. I, you know, the thing about the Linux platform is it's always been hard for developers because, you know, it's hard enough, like at least not so much now, but, you know, back when we had like several versions of Windows that are re that are being supported at any one time, we kind of still do. We have Windows 10 and 11 now, uh, but developer would have to make a package for each version of Windows, which wasn't all that bad, but still, uh, that was one thing. But then they look at DistroWatch, which honestly, you shouldn't really look at when you're just starting out because it'll confuse you. Oh my gosh, I got to make a hundred different versions. Not really. Like you don't really have to make that many, just three, four, maybe, but they don't know, you know, they're windows developers. They want to get their product over to Linux and then, eh, yeah, no, that's uh, too much work. I don't know if I should target Debian, Ubuntu, SUSE, Fedora. I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. So yeah, y'all crazy. I'm just moving on. Uh, <laughs> so that was a problem getting software adoption for the long time. Uh, it still is a problem, but there's some solutions we'll talk about uh, very shortly that'll that were created to hopefully try to mitigate this. Exactly. The we'll get into the image options that you have. <laughs> yeah, the universal packages is That's the it. word. And um, you know. Before I get into that, I'll have to mention the problem. Um, they're one of the problems that it tries to solve because a lot of people I feel like in the Linux community are oppositional towards universal packages. They're like, yeah, no, we don't, that, that's horrible. I'm just gonna apt install everything. That's fine, you know, if, if you can apt install the thing you want, then you're probably not the target audience for it. So you could just happily do that. But, you know, if it doesn't work for you personally, that doesn't mean that there's no problem that it it's legitimately solving that just means that you in particular you don't really have a problem that would be solved by it but you know linux community wide there is a problem here and especially on servers you see an issue where um i don't know maybe a, a new version of nginx or apache has a new security uh, suite that it's supporting new features something but your distribution especially enterprise linux distributions they stick to old versions to a fault and um you're kind of left with the choice. Do I compile from source? I mean, you can do that. But then the package database doesn't have any idea that you've done that. So you can install or someone else can install Apache, even though you've compiled it by so from source and now you have two. And things get a little weird. And then you have libraries that one requires that a newer version of another um, might require something else. So it gets to be kind of a problem here. And 
Now, that's a problem that not everybody has. But then again, you never have a problem until you do. So I see people out there will say, I don't want to use universal packages because it's dumb and I've never had a problem. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's great that you've never had a problem, but other people are having problems sometimes. And um, this is a legitimate problem. And from a user standpoint, um, I don't necessarily want a rolling distribution to be you know, bleeding edge on everything. But if I want the latest LibreOffice because I write books, and that's really important because LibreOffice, they increase compatibility with Microsoft Office formats to the point where I wonder that if some of the people that are complaining about LibreOffice and compatibility are just stuck on an older version, and maybe those problems are fixed in a newer one. But, but with universal packages, you can pull down a newer app than the one that the uh, distribution itself provides. But you can make that choice, stay with the distribution's version, or sideload a universal package and get something new if you find that you need it. Absolutely. This is finding things. Well, Caden Live is my pain. Yep. And that's one of the reasons I, I started enjoying the flat pack of Caden Live so much. It's I yep. couldn't. Yep. It was two problems. It was uh, different dependencies on FFmpeg. Uh, okay. Yeah. So apparently I'm still live. I didn't know if the stream was frozen. So I'll just wait for Tom to come back and then we'll just, uh, I don't know, maybe edit out the the blank spot. Yep. Tom is typing to me right now. So technical difficulties. See what he says. Okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and um, continue. And then hopefully Tom shows back up um, his internet. Um, I don't know went out. Comcast is having some kind of problem I saw in the news uh, lately. So um, that could mean I'm next because we have the same provider and we're only about an hour away from each other. So let's just hope that doesn't happen. So anyway, we were getting into the conversation about universal apps. And right away, the thing is you could use them or ignore them. Now, some distributions kind of force that along a little bit, but that's another story. But it gives you an option. If you need the newer version of something, you can get it. As Tom was saying, he likes to have the newer versions of Caden Live, which is really important because Caden Live crashes all the time. So you really do need the latest version because how else are you going to get the bug fixes? But you're not going to get the latest version in the distribution. Um, you have to wait for the next distribution or make that choice and use a universal package. And when it comes to developers, the concept around a universal package gives everybody um, or developers the option to make one package that could be installed on multiple distributions, which, um, you know, is given us things like Slack and a number of other apps that um, I'm not sure if we had that before or not, but there's some commercial apps that are often required in the workplace that we have easy access to because of this. So it's definitely a great thing to have. And um, unfortunately, there's a bit of controversy when it comes to universal packages and one of the controversies is that they um, use up a lot more space. And, you know, they do actually use up a lot more space. I have a whole video about this on the channel. But um, the thing is, do they use a lot of space extra? Not really. In my opinion, you could get a, um, I think, a 250 or is it even a 500 gig SSD or something like that for $20, 20 US dollars. It's, you know, I just don't think like the extra hard drive space is really all that much of a big deal but it depends on personal opinion. Uh, but at least we have the option of getting the latest package and then developers have the ability to target one universal app type and then have that be installed on multiple systems just makes it easier for them. 
and to solve some problems for us too, because we can install a newer version of something. And since it includes the libraries in that app, then it's not going to conflict with another app on the same system because they could coexist. They're in a different location and all the dependencies are in there too. So that's a benefit there when it comes to universal packages. But what kinds of packages are there, um, or universal package types, what kinds are there, and why would I choose one over the other? The first thing to keep in mind is if you don't have a use case for a universal package, then you don't have to use it. Um, if you don't want a Flatpak version of Caden Live, then and, and, you know, you're fine with the one that came with your distribution, you know, just ignore the uh, Flatpak version and just stick with the distro version. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all about use case. If you don't have a use case for a universal package, no problem. Just ignore it. But again, it's an option. Anyway, we have flat packs, we have snap packages, and app images. And there's some differences between the three. Um, generally, I find that snap packages seem to have more command line apps um, than flat packs have. Flat packs seem to cater towards um, GUI apps. That's not to say that they don't or can't have. Uh, command line utilities as well. Um, obviously, they they can. Um, flat packs are largely commissioned by GNOME. Um, I'm pretty sure that's you know where that technology originated from. And snap packages originated from Canonical, the makers of Ubuntu. So, considering that I just said Ubuntu, then obviously there's going to be some controversy there because you know that's a controversial company. Now, um, the differences between flat packs and snaps. Um, they handle confinement differently. I don't want to go too deep into that. Um, an app can be you know, more open or more closed depending on the use case. For example, if you install a web browser, then it's going to have to be at least a little bit open because if you want to download a file from the internet, where's it going to put it, right? Um, probably in your downloads directory. But if the universal package is so confined that it can't access the file system, how's it going to put a file you downloaded in the download directory? It can't. So some packages are going to be more open than others. The developer or maintainer makes that decision. Now, one downside of snap packages is probably actually the biggest downside is that there's no repository. Um, there is one Canonical's repository, and that's it. You can't use anything else. You can't say, thank you, but no, thank you, Canonical. I'm going to steer this snap uh, utility over to my repository where my stuff is and ignore your store. No, uh, there, as far as I know, there's no way to do that. So it's kind of like a walled garden. And that has a lot of people upset, rightfully so. I totally get it. Um, we want to be able to get things from multiple sources and not be forced to use one. So there's a little bit of disdain for snap packages because of that reason. That being said, they are a good solution, though, um, if you could get over the fact that there's that proprietary nature of the store. Um, they're perfectly usable and the technology is good. Um, just depends on personal preference. Flat packs actually have the capability of being pointed at multiple repositories. Most people use FlatHub. That's the go-to. That's the tried and true. Almost every tutorial I've ever seen on flat packs have you install that repository, but there's nothing stopping you from creating your own repository if you wanted to, which is a, a major benefit when it comes to Flatpak. Other than that, they're very similar. They contain all the dependencies. They're built in. You install a Flatpak or a Snap package. You, you just run it. Um, it's usually that easy. So um, just getting caught up with the live stream here. So um, app images are probably my favorite 
but also my least favorite at the same time. Um, it's so confusing because there's some very good pros for app images and some egregious cons as well. Um, the biggest con is that it's up to you to update it. Um, so it's basically the same problem as a PPA. If you install a PPA, are you keeping up on it? Are you checking that? Did you get an update recently? Are you checking it for security vulnerabilities? Let's be honest, probably not. Even I don't do a good job with that, to be completely honest. But um, the fact of the matter is, it's a legit problem um, that you do have to keep app images updated. And since there's no repository for app images, you just download an app image and run it in place. You could you know, drop that app image in your home directory, your downloads directory, bin folder, wherever you want. Double click on it, it runs. So um, you know it's very portable, which is its major benefit. But because it's portable and the system doesn't know where that app image is going to be, and there's no you know standard location for that, um, how how do you update that? How do you scan your system and um, do the equivalent of an app disk upgrade on app images? Well, you can't. They do make a, a an app excuse me an app image updater that you could download, but problem is that. Um, yeah, it's it's hit or miss. Developers have to add a certain, I forgot what it was, but a certain feature set in their app image for that to work in the first place. And it's kind of weird to download an app image and that the job of that app image is to update other app images. It's just kind of funny. Um, that being said, what I love about app images is because it just seems like a great idea to just download something and run it. Um, it is a bit of a downside that there's no standard security. You have to kind of um, scan it yourself and kind of keep an eye on things. But being able to just download a, an app image and just run it um, is great. One of my favorite things to do with app images is pair it with sync thing because you could have all your app images in one folder and sync that folder to all your computers. And then when you download a new version of an app image on one computer, all your computers have that same version as soon as sync thing syncs it. So um, I find that's a very powerful combo, something that you can't do as easily with um, flat packs and snap, pa or excuse me, snap packages. So those are the main differences between them. Um, what I've noticed is that it's really hard to choose one of the three technologies and stick with it because sometimes a developer might make a flat pack available, but not a snap package or a snap package available and not a flat pack or an app image available. Um, I forgot which video editor it was. One of them actually distributes theirs via AppImage. So um, if you install a lot of apps, you'll probably end up in a situation where you'll have at least one of each type of universal app just by the nature of the beast. So it's kind of like we're trying to make a standard, but now we have three standards. We have three competing standards. When we're trying to standardize, that's um, usually how things go. So let's see what we have in the comments. So um, someone asked if you can inspect what's running in, a, in an app image. And um, the lack of consistency kind of makes that hard. Now, I haven't tested it yet. Linus is my favorite tool for um, you know, checking for vulnerabilities. I mean, I have tested it. I just haven't tested it against universal packages yet because I don't personally run universal packages on servers as of right now. Um, I have a video coming about Linus. It doesn't cover its ability or inability to scan universal packages. So I don't know if it does or does not, but I do have a video coming about it that'll at least give you the uh, rundown on how that works. But um, it, at the very least, 
you have to think about your um, universal apps in terms of security. So if it's a text editor, for example, and that's all that universal package does, and let's just assume that it has no internet capability. It's not a text editor that downloads plugins. It's it just it's just a text editor. If that's behind, it's not that big of a deal, right? Because it's not like you forward your text editor to the public internet. Um, unless there's a vulnerability chain, um, there's no way that that's going to be a problem. But if it's Bitwarden, for example, where your passwords are stored, you need to keep an eye on that. And sometimes it can come down to making sure that you have the latest version by checking it manually. And you can also make that easier by by subscribing to the mailing list for whatever app you're using that's important. Because when there's a new version, you'll get a um, you'll get some kind of a notification for that. Or you could just subscribe to the RSS feed for their blog and you can just see that anytime they come out with a new version, okay, I'll just go ahead and download it. Um, so there is a little bit of manual work there. Um, flat packs, at least on, on my end, when I have them installed, I just run Flatpak update and it updates all of them on my system, which is pretty cool. And then there's also, I want to say Flatpak remove or Flatpak uninstall. And then the key, the option dash dash unused every now and then. That's the problem that Tom had actually. He was getting these errors about um, some flat packs that were out of date and unmaintained. And um, he ran that command, it cleaned it right up. Uh, flat packs, even though they contain all the dependencies, they still sometimes need a platform like a um, a GNOME flat pack or something that contains the toolkit in there that it uses. So there's still going to be some dependencies and some shared dependencies here, not nearly as many. But um, in Tom's case, he had um, a flat pack that he updated to a newer version and the prerequisite flat pack that it required also updated, but it didn't remove the original one. So there's no security risk necessarily in that case because it wasn't like an internet library or network library or anything like that. He just ran the dash dash um, unused option with um, either, again, either flat pack uninstall or flat pack remove and cleaned it right up. Everything was fine. Um, he just had a bunch of warnings on his screen and um, kind of weird. So um, every now and then you do have to clean up your flat packs, whereas snap packages, they just uh, regularly, you know, they just, and they just update. Big problem with that though. Um, there's some things that you probably don't want to have automatically updated. And Caden Live is a good um, example of that because you do want to keep that updated because there's bug fixes and it crashes all the time. But sometimes they introduce new bugs in new versions. And if you're like me and trying to get some videos out the door, rendering them and, and get them uploaded, and you have like a finite amount of time to get that done, you don't really have time to... Um, wrangle with new bugs when you're trying to get your work done. So um, if a package is automatically updated, that could work against you if you are, you know, wanting a specific version. With flat packs, you could freeze them if you need to, which means they won't update. Um, use that sparingly. But the problem with that, as far as I know, you can't say to Flatpak, I want a specific version of this package because this is the one that works the best for me. You could freeze the one that's currently installed but if you install a brand new Linux install on a brand new laptop, you're going to get the current version of that flat pack no matter what. You could freeze it going forward, but it's really hard to retroactively pull an older version if there's a regression in a newer version. So there's some difficulty there. With snap packages, it's even worse because they're just going to up and update on you whether you want them to or not. So um, there's definitely some pros and cons with them, but the whole point is you could get applications that you need uh, at the versions you need or a newer version, even if your distribution doesn't support 
a newer version giving you the option, or you could just ignore them and use the distros package if you need to do that. Um, Canonical is constantly in the news for uh, what people claim is shoving snap packages down everyone's throat. Um, my personal opinion is that, um, you know, Canonical is a company. And if you don't want a company decision on a distribution um, put on you like that, use Debian or use a community project and you wouldn't have to worry about that. So um, if I feel like if you're the type of person that really, you don't like that, I totally get why you wouldn't like it. Um, probably Ubuntu isn't a good fit, in my opinion, because they're going to keep doing this. Um, it is what it is. It's their distribution. They're a company. They have a different plan than a community does. But taking the politics out of it, these technologies are great. Um, it's giving us something that we really need. Not everyone needs it. And maybe some people are fine without it. But like me, I write books, for example. I want the latest LibreOffice. I want the Microsoft Office compatibility to be the latest. So when I send something to my publisher, I don't have to worry as much about something um, not opening for them that I save in LibreOffice. So for me, I really like that. So I'm going to go ahead and look at the comments and see uh, if there's anything there I'd like to address. Now, someone did mention that universal packages for desktop apps can start or take a longer time to start, which is one of the things that is a downside. Um, the odd thing about that is it doesn't have to be. That's actually more common with snap packages than flat packs. For me, none of the flat packs I have installed take any time at all to open. They're all like pretty much instant, like just as fast as the distro version. Snap packages can absolutely take some time to open. Now, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I'm pretty sure it's because the developer, whoever's creating the snap package, isn't doing something right. There is a way to work around it. I know Canonical has actually met with companies where their software was taking up like a long time to load and they helped them fix it. So it's fixable. Um, I don't know why most people don't fix it, but it's one of those things where um, it's a legitimate problem, but it's not widespread. App images, in my opinion, don't take longer to load. Flat packs don't as well. Snap packages can, like I mentioned. Um, I think the problem with snap packages is that it was kind of like considered ready for prime time before, before it actually was, because when they were starting to push it, the themes were different. You would you could tell it's a snap or a snap package because um, it would look different than every app on your screen. It just wouldn't have the same theme. It, it just looked kind of weird. And people hated that. And I understand that. Um, it wasn't ready. Um, it wasn't that it was broken. It's just that people really didn't know how to you know, create them without them being slow to open. The themes were um, inconsistent. So I kind of feel like some of the negative reputation for snap packages wouldn't really be a thing if they weren't in such a hurry to get it out the door. And although I don't think they admitted this, I think they were just really trying to compete with Flatpak. So I think that's why they rushed it um, because Gnome was trying to solve this problem at the same time Canonical is trying to solve this problem. And um, then all of a sudden it's a race. But I think Gnome, if I'm not mistaken, might have started working on it sooner. But I could be wrong. Either way, we now have three technologies that are, um, I don't want to say wanting to be the dominant force, Um or anything like that, but you know, everyone makes that assumption that that's the goal is for one to dominate. But I don't personally think that's true. But I think they can all coexist. But it just depends on your use case. So let's see if there's any any some more here to answer. Um, Comcast is horrible in Washington. They're horrible in Michigan too. Um, 
Yeah, so I'll take a few more questions, guys, uh, and then we can go from there. Um, and while I'm waiting for the questions to fill in, I'll just say, um, at the end of the day, use your best judgment. You know, if you, you know, don't use snap packages or flat packs or app images just for the sake of using them. You have to have a reason to use them. You have to need the, you know, a new version or something like that. Um, just don't use it for the sake of using it. If you need it, you need it, but um, less is more. Fewer repositories, better. Don't install PPAs unless you have to. Don't install snap packages, flat packs, or any of those other things unless you have to, because it's just another thing for you to maintain and keep your eye on. And that might be more work than the average person is able to do. So if you have that one-off app, then um, you know you can go ahead and do that. I actually have um, the flat pack version of almost everything on my systems, but I also have that automated with Ansible too. So it's not really a management overhead. In my case, most people aren't going to have the Ansible config that I do. So honestly, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do, I guess. And uh, someone brought up HD DVD um, greater than Blu-ray. I was really hoping that HD DVD would take off, um, but you know, we all know how that worked out or didn't. And also someone pointed out too that uh, you don't have to use a uh, universal package for something like LibreOffice because they have their own repository. That is true. So I, I do realize that, you know, Many of the apps that I mentioned might also have repositories too, so you could avoid the universal packages. Um, but generally speaking, if you're using a um, repository, you are kind of, in my opinion, bringing additional problems in. Um, there's such a long debate and discussion about the security of these things that I don't really want to get into. Um, I favor non-repositories personally. It, the argument can be absolutely made in the other direction, though. I totally understand that. It's just a matter of preference. But, um, re, you know, repositories, in my opinion, I just would rather see repositories used for, like, you know, system packages like the Linux kernel and, you know, your core system packages. So you don't have a rolling system, but just, just have the app separate, you know, have a, you know, LTS repository or channel or universal app or something that has, like, the, you know, tried and true packages so it's not bleeding edge or you could opt into a more bleeding edge um, repository if you want to. But, um no matter what happens, I think um, distribution packages are absolutely here to stay. I don't think that's ever going to go anywhere. The use case might change, but um, I but I do favor the universal packages for GUI apps when it makes sense. Um, again, it depends on your use case. Yeah, so there's a number of people that are um, mentioning some problems with universal apps. And, you know, I feel like that the big problem here is reputation because... What I don't think some Linux companies understand is that reputation is everything in Linux more than any other platform. Bottom line, um, look at ButterFS. They called it 1.0 when it still had some bugs and no one has ever let them live that down. Um, ButterFS is like forever scarred uh, their reputation, even though I think it's fine. Um, and if you're managing your system properly, you shouldn't ever have a problem. But they, you know, rushed at 1.0. And then Canonical is pushing snap packages out the door while there's still some, you know, big rough edges there. And, you know, now the reputation there is um, is bad. GNOME 3.0, the, the first release of GNOME 3, GNOME Shell, um, was missing all the features, right? And uh, just wasn't good. I feel like GNOME is great now, but they pushed it out the door and when it wasn't ready. And now there's a um, large number of people that dislike GNOME. So um, the common thread I'm seeing here is that when you have problems here with these technologies, it's often the case that um, 
you know, they rush it out the door. And then when you have a reputation, you know, you have entire groups that are against snap packages and against this and against that. Usually it's down to the reputation. Um, maybe the problems have been fixed now, but or maybe not. Either way, the reputation will be here for like five more years, regardless of what the developers do. So I think that's kind of something that keeps happening. So, yeah, I think that was basically everything for um, this episode that I wanted to discuss. I'm not sure what we're going to do in the next episode just yet. Maybe there's going to be some follow-up discussion on this. I don't know if Tom wants to do that or not. So maybe we'll do that in the next episode. Maybe we'll switch to a completely different topic. But I would like to do a Q&A um, episode um, whenever we can. So definitely go to the show's website, write in your questions, um, because our ability to create a Q&A episode depends solely on whether or not we have enough questions. Sometimes we'll get like a lot of the same questions. So we might get like 10 questions, but like six of them are the same one. So, you know, that only counts as one. And then we don't have enough for um, an episode. So if you guys have a bunch of questions, please ask, um, send your comments in, your questions especially, and maybe that's what we'll do next time or the time after that. So. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for following this podcast. It's 33 episodes in, um, technically 34. We started at zero. So um, I can't believe we have that many episodes into the podcast at this point. So um, yeah, that's that. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And um, stay tuned to Tom's channel and my channel. We both have some great content coming, maybe even some collaborations in the near future. So we'll be seeing you guys very soon. Thank you.